What is happening today is um, we are going to have um, baptism at the end of the service today. And I'm excited about it. We have three people as of now getting baptized. And if you want to get baptized today, by the way, and you're like, I didn't know there was baptism, or I did, but I wasn't planning on it, you can still, you can still get baptized today. It's not too late. Um, we, the three who are getting baptized planned it ahead, and so they could maybe invite someone to come, and, uh, family and friends to come watch, or um, they could make a, a testimonial video to show. Um, and so if you want to get baptized, you want to wait. We're going to do this again in December. As of now, we're planning to, to do this in December, early December. You can do it then and, and make it a, an ordeal. But you don't have to wait. You can just jump in today with no testimonial video at all. I mean, last I checked in the Bible, when people got baptized in the, in the scriptures, they didn't have time to make a, a baptismal video either. So I think you can, it'd be okay to do it on the spot, okay? I'm just saying. So we'll just get you in today if you want to join the group. But that's going to be at the end of the service, and we'll, I'll finish, and I'll pray, and then we'll announce, and they'll be dismissed, and we'll announce uh, what comes next. So that's at the end. And that'll take a good chunk of, our, of the end of our service today. Because of that, I'm going to do something uh, a bit focused for my sermon today. It won't be a normal sermon, so to speak. Uh, I'm going to use this time intentionally to do something for the occasion. Nor, we talk about the gospel all the time. The gospel is the good news. That Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. The gospel is in everything. It's in our music. It's in almost every sermon. It's interwoven in there somewhere. I mean, we just, it's always around us. And so, but sometimes it's nice to sit back and absolutely just make um, the sermon focused exclusively on this topic of the gospel. Because here's what I know. I know that you might be somebody who's gone to church for much of your life. You could have been in church for years, even decades. And it's possible that you have never heard the gospel clearly and simply presented. We're going to talk about the simple gospel today. And, and that's not because, you know, maybe because the church is bad uh, that you've been to or this one or anyone. I don't, I don't think what we're, I think sometimes there's an assumption that we talk about the gospel kind of all the time. So we figure that everyone kind of gets it. And maybe even there's uh, an assumption that you've been around church, you've kind of heard the buzzwords and you kind of put it together. But, but have, you may have never heard someone just kind of lay it out point by point. And if that's the case, even if you've been in church a while, today might be a day where you might connect some dots. And you might say, oh, I need to do something with that. I need to do something about that today. And so we're going to just present a simple gospel. And, and if you've heard it before, great. If you've, nev if you've never heard it before or you've never done anything with it, I hope that today when we're done, you'll respond to it today. And today can be the beginning of a new everything for you. However, maybe you've received it already, but you have someone in your family or your friend circle or your coworkers or neighbors that you care about and, and you want to share the hope that you have in Christ with them, but you're not sure how to do it. I'm going to give us today four simple statements Four simple, I mean like three or four words apiece. Four simple statements. And then I'm going to give us a bunch of Bible verses around them. And you should write these four statements down and write these verse references down because this will give you some simple tools that if you'll take them home and look at them at home in your Bibles and just glance them over, you can very easily share this message with anybody that you care about. In fact, this is the easiest way I know for you to embrace and share the gospel with somebody else. So we're going to give it simply to you to take in, write it down, and take it out of here with you to those you care about. And again, 
for you in the room, whether it's your first or 1,000th time in church, maybe today the dots get connected for you. We're going to take a whole service and just, instead of bringing the gospel in a sermon, we're going to just talk about the simple gospel exclusively. Four simple statements. Now, we can back these four statements up with Scripture all over the New Testament. The New Testament is full of Scripture about these four statements. But to stay simple, we're not going to go all over the New Testament. We're simply going to look at one particular section of the New Testament. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We call it the letter to the Romans or the book of Romans. And in, the, in this letter or this book of the Romans, we have a bunch of, of verses there that, like other spots in the Bible, they back up these four statements that lead us to the go- understanding the gospel fully. When, in my training, when I came, grew up in church and in, in seminary, they used to call this the Romans Roadmap or the Romans Road. Maybe you've heard of that term before. And the Romans Road is just a simple way of saying, without going to a bunch of places in Scripture, here's one place in Scripture where we can make these four statements and back them up scripturally, all from the book of Romans. So I'm going to share the Romans Roadmap verses, and I'm tempted, and you have to watch out. I'm a guy who uses too many verses. I want to go all over the Bible today. Last hour I preached this, and I almost jumped into John accidentally off of a whim. I'm going to try and stay in Romans today, okay? I'm going to try to behave. But um, these verses from Romans, write them down, write these four statements down, share them with somebody else, and if you need to receive them today, I hope that you will. That's a whole lot of setup to get to this point. Let's make this, uh, let's make this clear together. The first of the four statements today is simply this, that everyone's a sinner. That's it. Everyone's a sinner. And, and, and that's not even a controversial statement. We understand that everyone's a sinner. The problem is not that we would debate whether we are sinners or not, usually the problem is we would debate ourselves in comparison to other sinners. The statement in itself is simple, but a lot of people, especially religious people, get stuck on this point because we don't extrapolate it a little bit. I'm going to do that with you, but I want you to notice the statement first. Everyone's a sinner. In fact, I want to ask you to say these statements with me today. So let's all say this together. Ready? Everyone's a sinner. One more time. Ready? Everyone's a sinner. In other words, we, we understand that we're not perfect. In fact, I want to show you some, uh, some scripture here so we can make this point. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul makes a statement referring back to the ancient Hebrew scriptures. He's quoting them. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. And again, you might sit there and say, well, hold on, Arlen. See, this whole point bothers me because I'm pretty righteous, like, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, you should see my fa- rest of my family <laughs> and my neighbors. I mean, I'm pretty righteous, but this is not a comparison game. This is not saying compared to most people, I'm pretty righteous. This is saying we're not perfect compared to God's and, and holiness. We all, look, we're all sinners. Everyone is. No one is right. In fact, Paul beats this point home in the next dozen verses. He spends the next many verses just basically laying out statement after statement from Scripture before him that just demonstrates that we are all sinners. He drives it home over and over for about a dozen verses. At the end, he summarizes this whole section in verse 23 by saying this. He says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And again, the idea is that we, we, we don't measure ourselves to other people to say, well, I'm amongst humans, I'm one of the better humans I know. You should meet my friends. I'm pretty good. We're not doing that. We're saying not measuring ourselves by ourselves, but, but to God's glorious standard, we're all sinners. We might feel good because we don't do certain bad things like other people do, but we've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all done selfish, self-serving things that have harmed ourselves or others or other people or other things. And we've, we've done it because we wanted to. We've all sinned. Everyone's a sinner. Now, this is an important distinction to make because, again, as we get started, if, we're, if we can acknowledge it and understand the context is not just that I acknowledge I'm a sinner, but that I'm not comparing myself to other sinners, but to God's glorious standard, we see the problem. So let me do something I never do. I, can, I, I took Greek in college. I could, I could get into the Greek. I never quote Greek words to, in church ever because I don't think that helps most of us. But I'm going to do it today one time here, which is very rare. The Greek word for sin is the Greek word hamartano. Well, the noun is hamartia. The, the verb is hamartano. And it simply means, uh, in, the Greek, in the verb form like it's used here, it simply means to miss the mark. Now, again, it doesn't matter but I want to use it as an illustration. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has missed the mark. So let me, let me have some fun here. Supposing that you came in next Sunday and we drew a giant bullseye in this middle space right here. Why not? We're going to play darts in church. I mean, last week we had a bounce house over here. Today we have a hot tub over there. Next week we'll play darts on the stage. Let's keep going, amen? So we put a giant bullseye right in the center of this space and in the middle of the big circle is a smaller circle we're going to call our bullseye. And let's pretend that we come to church with that little center bullseye and we give everyone here a dart. If you're online, you can't do it because if you try to throw the dart online at the, and hit the bullseye, you'll break your screen. So don't, don't do that. But if you're in the room and we gave you a dart and you lined up and we said if anyone can throw their dart and hit that center bullseye, we will give you $1,000 for doing so. Let me quickly pause here and say this is not going to happen. So <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. Um, but let, let's say we said that, and we all lined up, and we all took our shots, and some of you came pretty close. I mean, you were, you, were, you were up there. And then others of you, we won't name names, your dart was over here against the you, missed the, you missed the platform, someone broke the TV, you know. I mean, it's just all over the place. And we're kind of laughing at each other, and, oh, that was close. And at the end of throwing the darts, there was, it was dangerous up here, and some were on the wall, and some were even this close to the bullseye. And so we laugh, and we kind of cut up and brag if we were close and make fun of the bad shots. And then we're done, and then you say, hey, Arlen, where's my $1,000? I go, what do you mean? Well, my $1,000. There's no $1,000. Well, yeah, didn't you see? I came closer to that bullseye than anyone else did. Take a look. See how close, I'm this far. I came the closest, so where's my thousand dollars? I would say to you, I'm sorry. You, yes, you did come closer, good job. But even in your great aim, you still missed the mark, see. And so you don't get the prize. You may have missed it closer than others, but you still missed. We understand that, I think, in a concept like this. But that's the word sin. We've all fall short of God's glorious standard. And a lot of times we lose this illustration, we lose this application in our self-righteousness. 
Because we begin to sit there and say, oh, come on, Arlen, I'm sure I'm fine with God. As humans go, I'm a pretty good one. Again, I know my neighbors, I know the people I work with, I know my family, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I come a lot closer than most people come. I mean, I'm pretty good, and I'm not perfect, but I come pretty close as a human goes, so I think my good outweighs my bad. I'm, I'm okay. And, and that whole thinking is flawed because we're looking the wrong direction. We're looking at others thinking I'm good instead of realizing by God's glorious standard, I'm a sinner. And you're a sinner. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And we will be forever lost and missing out on the salvation that God freely provides if we fail to recognize our need as sinners. We've got to start there. I said, number one, everyone's a sinner. Number two, there's a price on sin. I want to pause here before we repeat these together and say this. We're giving you four short statements. The last one's actually a question. The first three statements are universal about everybody. They apply to every single person universally. The last statement, or actually the last question, is what separates the pack. But follow along. Number one, everyone's a sinner. Then there's a price on sin. Let's say those together. Ready? Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. That's simple. Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. We can even say it with some cadence. Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Okay? Now here's the deal. Um, The Bible's clear. That sin, like any sin, that's any wrong that's being done, there's a price to pay when, wrong, when laws are broken, when wrong is done, when people are harmed. There's a price on sin. Romans uh, 6, verse 23, we're going to look at this entire verse later on, but let's look at just the first part of it for now. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And this is an idea that's taught throughout the scriptures. We can turn to 10 verses here. The wages of sin is death. Very simple idea that the price of wrongdoing, the consequence is death. That, um, that's, what, that's what the result. In fact, uh, in one chapter earlier, uh, Paul refers to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, when making this point. In Romans 5 and verse 12, he says this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And and again, if we look at the first part of that verse, we might be tempted to think this isn't fair. So Adam sinned and sin came into the world, and so I'm I'm condemned as well. But but, but Paul says, no, death spread to everyone. Why? Everyone has sinned. I might not have been the first one, but I'm certainly guilty myself. All of us are. We're all sinners. And death spread to everyone because the the price of sin is death. And this is, a, again, is an important point to acknowledge because if we're not careful, we'll compare ourselves to other people and say, come on, if, if, if I'm in trouble, we're all in trouble because I'm a pretty good human. And that's great, but we're, everyone's a sinner and there's a price on sin and that has to be addressed. And that's what the gospel's all about. See, but Arlen, I just sinned a little bit. But you imagine going to court today and standing in front of the judge and saying uh, to the judge and jury, I know I committed a murder, but you need to understand something before you throw me in prison or whatever you're going to do. It's the only murder I've ever committed. I could have killed dozens of people by this point in my life, and I only killed one, 
And furthermore, I also have done a lot of good things. I've never cheated, I've never stolen, and I've never, and I help old ladies across the street when the traffic light's red. So I'm a good person. And the judge isn't going to say, oh, well, in that case, don't worry about it. Because one, one murder makes me a murderer. And I gotta, I, all my other good that outweighs my bad, one bad moment, doesn't, ex, doesn't take the, pre, the price off of my actions. I can't sit there and say, I know I did this one horrible thing, but look at all the good I've done, so take me off the hook. I've still got to pay the price for that one thing. Go to your wife today and say, honey, I know I cheated on you, but here's the thing. I could have cheated on you dozens of times, and I didn't, okay? In fact, furthermore, I washed the dishes last week, and I always take my own dirty clothes, and I'm a pretty nice person usually, so hey, I mean, when you really weigh the package of all my good versus this one little time I cheated on you, I mean, I'm a pretty good guy, you know, how's that going to, go ahead and try that and tell me how that went, okay? Um, I'll be glad to do some counseling with you. Anyhow, um, what happened is this, just that one time, and I'm a cheater. And we get this, we get this, I'm, I'm being simple, but here's the thing. When it comes to our overall lives, we're guilty of playing that same game when it comes to our sin. We're like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I mean, I've done things I shouldn't have done or thought things I shouldn't have thought or said things I shouldn't have said or didn't do things I shouldn't have done. I, I'm a sinner, but I mean, there's just sometimes, there's a whole bunch of times I didn't do anything wrong. And I actually did good stuff and my good outweighs my bad. So therefore, but we can't rush past the, the sin problem. The sin problem is still there. Everyone's a sinner. And there's a price on sin. And that has to be, that has to be addressed. That's the, that's the predicament that we're in. And it's universal. Which brings us to our third point. I said, number one, everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Number three, Jesus paid that price. This is where the news gets good. That's the word gospel, by the way. Gospel means good news. Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid that price. Let's say that together. Ready? Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid that price. We got it going. Let's do that one more time. Ready? Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid that price. This is the good news. This is the good news. This is where I want to leave the book of Romans and start quoting other famous verses. This is God's love. Because anyone who wants to sit back and say, well, God, if God's a God of love, why would he make me pay for the things I've done wrong? Well, that's just, the wrong, wrong brings its own consequence. And, corrupt, and, and sin brings corruption and death. That's just how it is. In every part of, we understand that in every part of life, but we want to d- disassociate it when it comes to our soul. But you can't. But this isn't about God's love. God in his love gave us life. God in his love gave us the freedom to make choices good and bad. And God in his love paid the price. He stepped in and said, Let me, listen, I gave you the life you have and the options you, you took. But now you've got a big problem on your hands. Let me step in and do something about it. And so Romans 5 and verse 8 says this. But God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is the powerful, glorious, amazing love of God. That he showed his great love for us by sending Christ. If any of our questions, is God a God of love? Ask how many of us would go to the lengths that God has gone to to bring back those who sinned against him and against each other. 
He, he did this to, while we were still sinners. Jesus died on that cross. And, and all that was, because we can read elsewhere in Scripture where uh, this was a, a, a physical manifestation of something that was done in, in, before, in God's eyes from the foundations of the world, which basically means that we don't even understand the spiritual side. This was just a physical demonstration for you and me to see on the cross 2,000 years ago that God was showing us. Let me, let me show you what love looks like. Let me show you what forgiveness looks like. Let me show you what paying for the, someone's price looks like. Let me show you resurrection. Let me show you the conquering of death that came from sin. That's the power of the gospel. That's the, that's the love of God. Because let's be honest, how many people in your life, in my life, are we willing to sit there and say, yeah, you've wronged me, but I will go to great personal lengths to restore the relationship. Usually what we do is we're like, huh, okay, well, that's how you're going to be. I never need to talk to you again the rest of my life, so be done. I will inflict emotional pain of my cold shoulder and the absence from my life that you're going to feel forever for what you did to me. But to pay someone else, the price for someone else's sin, to work to restore a relationship, to, to make the personal sacrifice for what they did wrong, to you, to others, that's hard. But that's what God in his grace did. That's what Calvary was about, to show us forgiveness and show us resurrection. Conquering our enemy, the consequence of our sin, which is death. So here's the thing. Let me read some more verses to you. Earlier, we were looking at Romans chapter 3, if you were with us, where it says that everyone has sinned and come short of God's glorious standard. That was Romans 3.23. Back to Romans 3, the very next verse is verse 24. It says this. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Verse 25 goes on to say this. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The love of God to step in our place and say, whatever you've done, I'll, I'll bear it. I'll bear the offense that you've brought. I will take it all because I want you back more than I want you to pay. That's what Calvary said to you, that God wants you back more than he wants you to pay. So he did the paying for us. That's beautiful. I'm using a lot of verses here for you to write down. Let me give you one more under this point. Romans 5 and verse 21 we were just in Romans 5 a moment ago. Let's go back there. Romans 5. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which brings us to our last point. And I told you earlier that there's four statements I'm going to make. The first three are universal. They apply to everybody. But the last point is what separates the herd. Because it's a question, not a statement. So let's review them. I said, first of all, everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid the price. Here's the question. How will you respond? How will you respond? Because here's where God steps in and says the choice is up to you. 
Now, some of us who've been in church land a long time and want to, some Christians like to debate the deeper things of God and theological big words and arguments as if any of us somehow truly understand the divine nature of God and can you know, draw denominational distinctions amongst ourselves over doctrines that probably most of us will get to heaven and realize we were all off a little bit. Some people want to debate things like free will versus God's sovereignty as if, as if those are even conflicting ideas. That they're both in Scripture, that God gives us the freedom to choose, and at the same time, God is perfectly sovereign. We like to sometimes take a side on the issues like that if we've been in church a long time, almost like um, politics. You're on one team A or team B, you know? But the truth is, both are scriptural ideas, if we're willing to be honest. That, that God in His love created the world, and God gave the world the opportunity to, to, to make, he didn't make us robots. We, we value that freedom to choose, but the freedom to choose included the freedom to choose wrong, to choose to do the wrong thing, to sin. And when we choose to sin, harm ourselves, harm this world, this planet, this world, the, the, uh, uh, other people, we do wrong against God's laws, it brings death and decay and destruction. And we don't like that. We get mad because of the, of, of the, choi- the consequences of our choices. We get mad at God, but the truth is not one of us wants to go back to a spot where we have no choice. We're free, thankful not to be puppets. We're thankful to have the freedom to make a mess, even if we want to blame God for the mess. But God in his love, God in his love paid the price for the mess. God in his love redeemed the mess. He stepped into the world and said, I'll take, I'll take it on myself. And he once again comes to us after paying the price for sin. He comes to us and says, I'm giving you one more choice. How will you respond to what I've done for you? God will never force anything down your throat, including faith, including himself, nothing. He's just offering you something. How will you respond? We quoted Romans chapter 6, verse 23 in part earlier. Let's look at the entire verse this time. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's powerful and that's beautiful. In other words, God's got a free gift through Jesus Christ who died for our sins. It's the gift of eternal life. Like any gift, it's free. If I were to come to you today and say, hey, it's the Christmas season and I want to give one of you a gift today and so I offered you a gift and you were to be here and you were to, and you were to say, oh, thank you, Arlen, how much do I owe you? You can't pay me for it. It's a gift. You can't work for it. It's, that'd be earning it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. You have two options if I offered you a gift. You could either sit there and say, nah, I don't take gifts from no, nobody. I got this. I got my own way. It's your core. Okay. Or you can say, sure. Thank you. That's generous of you. I accept. And so it is with God. He paid the price. He paid for the gift. It cost him. It's free for us, not free for him. It was his sacrifice, his blood, his, 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 his atonement for our sins. And he says, look, I did that to pay the, the debt, to break the power of death, and to invite you back into relationship with me, to, to bring you back to God. Now what are you going to do with it? It's a gift. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't go to church enough times to, to get enough. You can't go to church to get all your stamps clicked and you're getting to heaven pass. You can't put money in the offering plate to earn your way there. It's a gift. It's free. All you can do is either say, nah, I don't need no help. 
Or you can say, wow, that's pretty generous, God. Thank you for doing what you did for me. I accept it. Now, most of us today would probably not argue with these four major statements. But the question is this, how will you respond? Have you received God's gift of salvation? Have you received his sacrifice? Because that's what it comes down to, believing it and receiving it. So I want to tell you a way you can simply do that today. I'm going to close with these verses in um, Romans chapter 10, three verses close together, that kind of talk about how we can actively hear this and believe it and accept it, receive it for ourselves and experience salvation. The first verse is Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't miss that. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The very next verse, verse 10, says this. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And then Paul begins to quote from the Old Testament and he quotes from the book of Joel. And in verse 13, he says this, for, quoting, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, everyone who calls, you gotta remember that those other verses earlier is not just magic words. I call on the name of the Lord. Abracadabra, hocus pocus, I said the right words, poof. It's, we just read these other verses. It's, it's believing in your heart. It's not magical words, it's it's heartfelt words. It's it's believing it here and calling out to God and, and, and acknowledging what he's done for you. Because otherwise, it's nothing. If you were ever a child and someone led you at some point into saying a prayer with them and you did it because you wanted to make them happy or you were afraid not to or, or I don't know, words aren't magic. Heart's magic. If, if, if you've never, you've got to come to a spot where you say, oh, I hear that, I believe it. I believe that I'm a, everyone's a sinner. I'm a sinner. There's a price on my sin. Jesus paid that price so I could be saved. And I'm going to respond by believing that and receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life. I'm going to call on the Lord and receive his grace today. Now, you, this is for everybody. This is what separates those who know the Lord and those who don't. It's not that some are better sinners than others. Some sin less or prettier than others. We're all sinners. We're all broken in different ways. It's that some sinners realize that Jesus gave his life for their sins. And they simply reach out and say, thank you, I accept that. Put my faith in you. And others say, nah, I don't care. Or I got this on my own, I'm okay. That's religion. Or I don't care at all. But the choice is yours. And you could be a deacon in a church, a pastor of a church, a longtime church attender, or a person who's never been in church a day in your life. We're all in the same boat. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does that look like for you? Because the invitation's yours. It truly is good news. And God offers it in love. Let me tell you my quick story. I was raised going to church as a boy. When I was a teenager, my dad became my pastor. That's a fun world, right, Lindsay? 
I became, a, I was a preacher's kid, a PK they called us, which means we were either really nice, decent, sweet kids or we were horrible demons, one or the other. And um, to be honest, at that point in my life, I was, a, I was, one, of the, I was one of the good, I, just, I, I didn't do anything big time wrong. I, was, I mentioned earlier, people who think they almost hit the bullseye because they weren't pretty, were pretty good, I could fall into that category growing up. I just didn't mess, it wasn't, my, it wasn't because of me. My parents kind of just had a bubble I lived under and I just couldn't get in much trouble. And I kind of lived my life that way. I've not really done any of the big bad stuff. But here's the thing, I'm a sinner. I might not have done that, like the major, major red flag issues, but I've done a lot of things in my heart, my mind, my words, my actions, or my inactions that are wrong. I'm a sinner. And I was raised in church, and I, even though I was a pretty good kid, I knew this. And one day, I was sitting at home. I'll never forget it. It was January 18th, 1990. And I just told you how old I am, because I was 16 years old at the time. January 18th, 1990, I'm sitting there in my house, and it was really weird because I was home alone. And that might not seem weird to you, but there was seven of us. I was the oldest of five kids and my two parents. There were seven of us. I was never home alone. But one day, for some reason, I was home alone. And so as I sat there, I was wrestling with some things in my heart that I knew were wrong. And I was convicted. And I knew all this stuff, man. I heard it all. And I knew in that moment, but, but I was reminded that I'm a sinner. And there's a price on sin, and Jesus paid that price. And God's Spirit spoke in my heart and said, Arlen, how will you respond? And I knew it was time for me to do something real, and not just kind of know about it, but to do something with it. And I called on the Lord. Here's what I did. I actually got off my couch. I don't know why I did this. I was the only one there. I got off my couch and I got down on the ground and I turned around and I put my face, I knelt on my couch like this, like I was like at an altar in church or something. I, I knelt on my couch and I prayed a prayer and I prayed something like this. I'm like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's a price on sin. It's death and separation from you. And I, I know that, that um, you, you sent your son to, die, to pay for that price. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again and I believe that. Thank you for loving me enough to do that for me. Right now, I not only believe it, but I receive your gift of eternal life. I put my faith in you. I'm not going to be, I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not good enough to get myself to, to heaven. I'm a sinner who needs you to be my savior. Thank you for being my savior. I put my faith in you. I trust in you. I call on you and receive your grace today. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. Amen. I didn't pray something like that. It was probably longer because you know me, I'm kind of wordsy. But I prayed. And I prayed a prayer in that space where I gave my heart, I received what God did for me. I put my faith in him. I gave him my life. And it was the beginning of days. And I can go back to this moment, to that date in January at 236 North Cass Street in Morley, Michigan, to that living room and know there was a time in my life when I concretely heard and understood the gospel, but that day, I not only believed it, I received it. I put my faith from my heart in Jesus. I called on him and asked him to save me. Where are you today? Is that something that is a next step in your spiritual journey? If so, God offers it in love and it truly is good news. We're gonna do, give you the chance to do so in your own space, in your own seat, if you want to. But I want to close by reviewing our four big points. Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. 
Jesus paid the price. How will you respond? Can we say it together? Ready? Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid that price. How will you respond? I'm going to change it this time. And instead of you, I want to put the word I in there. And I want to say it together. I want you to say it with me. And let's say it with the word I. Ready? Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid that price. How will I respond? And that's it. That's the story. And I hope that if nobody, I, don't, I hope that for somebody, today could be the beginning of new days for you.